Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. It's time to wrap up week 4 of the high school football season. A lot of upsets, so I don't do too many on-air predictions. I don't like giving teams bulletin board material. Sometimes if you tell someone that you think their team is going to lose, even if it's just objective analysis, people don't take kindly to that. But if I had made a bunch of picks this week, most of them would have been wrong. I, I do have a couple of little private pick games with friends, and I can tell you that I had one of my worst weeks ever picking games. I went one for seven, and normally I'm around, you know, you should be able to hit like, what, 80% or so? At least that's what the CalPreps model usually gives, and I usually sit somewhere in the, I don't know, 70 to 80% range. This week was full of surprises, so as usual, going to give a pretty thorough rundown of what happened in the Central Coast section, and then a couple of scores of note from the North Coast section and elsewhere in Northern California, plus got a little basketball recruiting news to hit you guys up with centered around the West Catholic Athletic League, so should be a fun show. We had a couple of league games this week. We had a lot of teams, including the entire WCAL, on buys. So let's go to going. First off, Thursday night, I went to the El Camino Cappuccino game. Cap led by just seven at half, but outscored the Colts 29-0 in the third to win 50-14. Try not to make any horse puns, considering it was the Mustangs versus the Colts. And they've got something really good going to Cappuccino right now. I've got the story up on that, put that up on Friday. It's just really impressive what they've done with that program Jay Oak has done a really nice job. I believe he's now the athletic director in addition to not just being on campus. And he's talked a lot about the value of having an on-campus coach. Really solid senior class. Lucas Zayak is a heck of a player. Also very impressed with Charles Barfield. Good returning QB in Brandon Arceo. And a lot of size on the line. Normally in years past, Cap would have like one big lineman and not much else. They've really built something nice. It's a lot of kids that are also very solid baseball players, and things are really looking up there. This was a program that for a long time was an afterthought. Now they're packing the stands on the home side, even on a Thursday night. Roster numbers are into the high 30s, and I think this is going to be a contender in what should be a really tight PAL Ocean Division. Uh, As for El Camino... They are 0-4, but they've scheduled up. I think they'll be a decent side to watch for in that PAL El Camino division, the fourth of the five tiers. The Colts are young, and they're just small and not super deep, but I can tell you this, the guys are in the right position to succeed. They're not making silly mistakes. That's a sign of a well-coached team that just, they need the guys to get a little older and a little bigger, but I like what they're doing over there. Should see them again at the Bell game at the end of the season. Other Thursday scores, Pacific Grove stays unbeaten, 21-14 over Greenfield. SoCal, 21-7 over Scotts Valley. Back-to-back wins for the Knights, and they should have a third win by forfeit, assuming that game against Santa Cruz ends up being considered a forfeit. Remember, they lost to Los Gatos to open the year, but have been awfully sharp since then. And Christopher, all over Overfeld, 34-8. So Overfeld's been a really up-and-down team so far. Interesting year for the Royals, who... Blasted San Jose, lost a close one to Woodside, beat Leland by 17, and then lose this one by 26. Overfelt opening 
league play this Friday at Willow Glen. That's one of the games to watch this week. This is going to be the first week where I have like a full separate preview episode leading into week five, and that should be a fun one. Friday night, few scores of note from the North Coast section and elsewhere. I just want to gloss over real quick as, yes, I am more CCS-centric for football, but do want to give mention to a few games here. Amador Valley, four games, all tight, all down to the wire. This one, unlike the other three, very high scoring. They pull out a 41-34 win over Monta Vista. Score one for the EBAL's Valley Division over the Foothill Division. That is a really impressive win for a Don team that looks like the team to beat on the southern end of the 680 corridor. I know Dublin's had a solid year as well, but gotta like Amador Valley's chances to really go on a tear this year. Uh, San Ramon Valley all over McClyman's 35-7. Only three passing touchdowns for Luke Baker. Everyone who's watched this kid agrees. He's one of the best QBs in the Bay Area, if not the best. Uh, after the game I went to Friday night, saw the Palo Alto coaches, and they were talking about how impressed they were just watching him on TV in the state championships last year. So I say again to every college coach, don't shy away from him because he doesn't have some of the measurables in terms of height. I don't care if he's 5'11". He's, he's got a great arm. He's got great field vision. He's a good athlete. And he's a proven winner. Bishop O'Dowd holds on late for a 34-28 win over Castlemont. Love that O'Dowd has put in so much effort to playing against other Oakland schools. Even though they didn't fare so well against McClymans and had blown out Skyline the week before. Playing three of the six OAL teams... It's so good for just getting people to come out to games in the community. Friday night public versus private school within the city of Oakland is just awesome. So, ton of respect to all the programs involved for putting that on. O'Dowd and the three other OAL schools that they faced off with. O'Dowd's 2-2. Two and two. They got a really tough game at Marin Catholic this coming week before settling in for West Alameda County foothill play. Pittsburgh trailed Cal by two scores on multiple occasions in an all-black-and-orange game Friday night, but the Pirates scored 28 in the third quarter, ended up going ahead by two scores, taking a 31-21 lead into the fourth, then gave up back-to-back touchdowns, only to retake the lead on Marley Alcantara's 34-yard touchdown to Noah Quesada, They got the stop late to hold on and win 38-35 in what looked like a terrific game. And frankly, there's no bad game at Pirate Stadium. Just the closer ones are the more exciting ones. But even if you were there for a running clock game, it is such a fun place for a game. Cannot recommend enough. Best football environments in the Bay Area. Or if you extend beyond that, just cover the whole Central Coast section, North Coast section. The the best environments have to be Pittsburgh, St. Francis, and Salinas. De La Salle with a convincing 24-10 win over St. Mary Stockton. They actually led that game 24-3. Toa Faave breaking that one open with an 84-yard touchdown run after the Spartans had forced a turnover on downs. That's the sort of game that should effectively lock in Sarah, barring any sort of major upset as the Northern California Open Division champion, but... What a showing for De La Salle over a St. Mary's team that looked, you know, considering mutual results, would have had to be the favorite heading into that game. So the Spartans up to 2-2. Two and two. It also really reflects well on the two teams that beat De La Salle, Orange Lutheran and Sarah. Uh, De La Salle, the next couple weeks, 
they've got some really fun games ahead still. Visiting Folsom this Friday, then they host McClyman's, then in a couple of weeks they're at SRV. You know, every few years they have a league game against a really strong nearby opponent, and that October 13th game at SRV, that one has to be circled at this point as as the best chance an East Bay public school is going to have to knock them off in a while. I, I might have to make my way out to that game. There are some other good matchups that night. The Sacred Heart Prep-Menlo-Atherton rivalry among them. Also, St. Ignatius at Valley Christian, but man, that's that's going to be tempting. I'm, I'm putting that one on my short list right now. Friday in the Central Coast section, Burlingame back-to-back wins. They beat Half Moon Bay 20 to nothing. Panthers have righted the ship after an 0-2 start that included a loss to Cappuccino, a team they had generally dominated for the last couple decades, and a shutout defeat against Soquel. Things look a lot better there. Panthers up to 2-2 two two heading into their bye week. Monterey all over Montevista Christian, 55-19. It was 55-0 at half. Monterey, despite having one of the smaller rosters of the Gabalon division teams, I think they're going to be a serious threat in there. It's going to be fun to see how they fare against, you know, the likes of Palma, Aptos, Hollister, Salinas. They open league play at Palma this coming Friday. That's actually, I think that's actually one of the most interesting matchups this coming Friday. I'll be staying within the Bay Area proper, but kind of got that one circled. One massive positive for Montevista Christian, what turned out to be the Mustangs' first loss of the year. Taylor Fernandez, who Jim Samus referenced a few weeks ago when he was on here as a guest, player who was badly injured during that win over Los Altos, was on the sideline after missing the last few weeks with a spinal injury, dealing with some nerve damage. He even got out of his wheelchair at one point before the game, so... Despite the actual score of that game, that's a bigger win than anything in terms of in terms of anything on the scoreboard. That's that's a huge success for a young man's well-being. Los Gatos all over a Palo Alto team that was dealing with a whole lot of injuries, 42 to nothing. It was 35-0 at halftime. Wildcats 3 and 1. Is it too early to look ahead to that October 27th game against Wilcox. I mean, I know between now and then, Menlo Atherton, Sacred Heart Prep, and others will get their cracks at them, and Los Gatos has a huge home game a week from Friday against Pittsburgh. But in terms of PAL Bay Race, I think it will be hard not to call Los Gatos and Wilcox the two favorites. Congratulations to Aragon head coach Steve Sell on becoming the winningest coach in program history. The Dons beat Carlmont 42-21. He passes Britt Williams, his mentor, with win number 157. The Dons 3-1 entering what should be, like I've said, a really fun PAL Ocean Division. Having seen a couple of the teams out of that this past week, I think that's going to be the most top-to-bottom interesting race out of all five PAL divisions. Obviously, Los Gatos and Wilcox you know, those two at the top of the bay is going to be great. But in terms of, like, all six teams could beat each other, that Ocean Division race is going to be pretty fun. Hillsdale beat Sacred Heart Prep for the second time in three years, 21-14. to More great reviews pouring in for QB Eric Waugh, who I liked last year. He had come in after 
starting QB had suffered, I believe it was an ACL injury. Hillsdale had a lot of injuries last year, and while those obviously hurt at the time, it ended up getting guys some experience that has worked to their advantage so far this season because while last year's team fell a bit short of a playoff spot, this year's group has much more experience entering the year than they had ever planned on, and they're 4-0. They'll host Half Moon Bay a week from Thursday to open up PAL De Anza play. I'd have to say they're one of the favorites. Their game at Menlo the week of October 13th, which I've seen listed for both that Friday and Saturday, so I gotta get clarification on that. That could be the game of the year in the PAL De Anza. South San Francisco opens PAL Lake Division play with a 30-7 win over Mills. Warriors might as well be the favorites in that league, which is crazy considering that program was on life support less than two years ago. I went to a heck of a game between Woodside and Sequoia. We will talk about that right after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by the High School Transfer Portal. The High School Transfer Portal. We pretend it doesn't exist. Huge thanks to our sponsor, the High School Transfer Portal, joining the likes of Loud JV Parents, Music Without Lyrics, Cup Noodles, and Cheerleader Music Not Starting on Time. If you would like to sponsor us with an actual business, feel free to get in touch. My email, as always, is ethancastle at gmail.com. Would love to build some community partnerships, whether it's with a restaurant, local business, personal services, whatever it is. If you're interested in supporting high school sports and promoting youth athletics, do not hesitate to get in touch. So as I hinted before the break, I went to a heck of a game on Friday night, the annual Redwood City Rumble between Woodside and Sequoia. It's a game I had never been to, but had heard a lot about. It's one that the San Mateo Daily Journal features just about every year, and Terry Bernal of the Daily Journal was there on Friday night. Terrific crowd, great atmosphere, parking was a nightmare. Ended up just about full on both sides with plenty of fans in standing room, so... Probably a couple thousand there. It's it's tough to estimate how many people, unless you actually know the capacity of a stadium, but I would say there were at least a good 2,000 people there, maybe 2,500, if not a little more than that. And Woodside ended up beating Sequoia for the first time since 2018. Final score, 17-14. to 14. Wildcats getting a goal line stop on the final play of the game to win. My first time seeing Woodside running back Evan Usher, and he's for real. Daily Journal's talked about him a lot, talked about Usher the Rusher, and he was every bit as good as advertised. He's big, he's quick, he's able to drag defenders with him. Finished night with 21 carries for 166 yards and a 45-yard touchdown. That touchdown put Woodside up 10-7 in the third after they had been pretty stagnant in the first half offensively. Sequoia missing a lot of the running back position, which hampered them after the opening drive. They had already lost Luke Ulrich a couple weeks earlier to injury. Logan Kern went down with a shoulder injury, so they were effectively down after the opening drive to their third through fifth running back options, and the guys who filled in there did all they could, but ultimately the offense was definitely a little bit hampered as a result. Sequoia did take the lead back early in the fourth quarter on a T.J. Talisa touchdown run. 
Woodside then threw in Mason Furtado, their linebacker, as kind of an option running QB and grounded and pounded the whole way down the field before Oliver Lasand's 22-yard touchdown run. That gave them the lead with just under six minutes left. Sequoia came back driving down the field, converted a couple of third downs, really liked the grit that QB Brody McKenna showed, but between having to burn an early timeout in the half because of substitution issues and then holding on to their timeouts until really late, they were left with just a couple of shots at the end zone. Got the ball down to the two with six seconds left. Called their final timeout. Set up one last play. It was a run. And Woodside linebacker Jordy Pena, who's listed pretty generously at five foot eight, made a perfect read when he saw the runner cut away from the pile. Met him shy of the goal line. Got the stop to end the game. Terrific atmosphere. Great to see Woodside have that sort of success as a program. It's their biggest rivalry game, especially now that they've dropped the Menlo-Atherton rivalry over the last few years because that game had gotten so lopsided that it just wasn't good for anybody. I mean, Woodside had been at a point multiple times where roster numbers were so low they were forfeiting games, and now they're pushing close to 40 guys on the varsity roster, another 40-ish on the JV team, even in an area that's combed over heavily by private schools. I mean, you're dealing with... SHP, Menlo, Sarah, St. Francis, all right there. Midi not far away. And right now, that program's on the upswing, which is terrific. So huge congrats to Woodside's whole coaching staff, including head coach Justin Andrews. Just a good vibe on that sideline and just around that program altogether that I haven't seen in a while. A couple of times I had seen Woodside play in past years, I hadn't seen them play since, I think it was like 2017. I just, it wasn't a particularly fun watch, and you could tell just the attitude wasn't great, even if they were winning, and now you see a program that's trending in the right direction. As for Sequoia, QB Brody McKenna and wide receiver Luke Rowell really put on a nice show, kept him in that game. But I think my favorite thing from Sequoia was talking with head coach Rob Polos after the game and I asked him about some of their clock management stuff and he gave a very thorough and well-reasoned explanation of why they hadn't used a timeout and ended up letting about 30 seconds run off at one point during that final drive and he had said that he had thought they had gotten the first down which you know stops the clock for them to move the chains turns out they didn't get it and that ended up costing him some time and for him to, A, be able to vividly remember that sequence instead of just say, you know, I got to go and look back at the tape. You know, a lot of times, play to play, it's tough to remember because you're so locked into the moment. Second, that he had such a full explanation of it. And third, that he accepted responsibility. That's just someone you want to play for. That's someone you really trust and respect. And I think he's running a darn good program. Sequoia is 1-3, but has played a pretty tough schedule so far, most notably taken on Patterson a couple weeks earlier. Ravens will open PAL Ocean play against Milpitas. It was a night of cross-division PAL games altogether, so Bay versus Deanza, Ocean versus El Camino, Woodside out of that El Camino division. I think the two favorites in that El Camino division right now would have to be Woodside and Fremont. Get to Fremont scoring a bit here, but as I run through the page, I'm just going to 
Gonna kind of run through them in the order that they're shown on max preps rather than zig and zag around. I think this is the optimal way to go about it instead of just go league by league because if I bounce around a bit, people can't just like skip through it looking for their school. You know, this is, this is how you get listener retention, right? Mountain View, all over Homestead 38 to zero. I think past Los Gatos and Wilcox, you know, where do the Spartans fit into that PAL Bay race? The way they interact with Burlingame, SHP, and Menlo Atherton, I think is going to be really fun. It's going to be a fun subtext to follow as this season goes on. Branham 63-6 over Lindbrook. The Bruins have really eased into the season with a couple of non-league games against teams where they just wanted to get their feet wet, graduated a lot from last year. Their schedule picks up in the next couple weeks big time. They will be at Live Oak this Friday. A week later, they'll be facing their biggest rival at Lee. Should be a fun couple weeks to really figure out what the Bruins are going to be all about. Milpitas, 56-14 over Santa Clara. The, the Bruins and their opponents in four games have combined for 328 points. On average, opponents are outscoring Santa Clara 50-32. to Milpitas 3-0, though they've got their toughest game of the year at Cal this coming week. Then they'll open up league play by hosting Sequoia. But Milpitas, program that had been in a somewhat steep decline for a bit. A lot of the kids they used to get going off to Valley Christian, St. Francis, etc. They're starting to work their way back up. I don't think the Trojans are going to be down in the Ocean Division for long. I think they'll be a De Anza or Bay team in the near future. Some cross-division BVAL action as Lincoln beat Westmont 41-13. The Lions up to 2-2. Two two. Cayenne Phillips is healthy and ran for three touchdowns. Fremont of Sunnyvale hinted at them a few minutes ago. One of the upsets of the weekend, 15-12 over Terra Nova. I think it would be hard to call anyone other than Fremont or Woodside the favorites in the PAL El Camino division. Those two teams set to face off on Thursday, October 12th. James Lick falls to 0-3. They lose 56-12 to Irvington. Another PAL El Camino team beating an Ocean team. It was Los Altos upsetting San Mateo 17-14. Eagles had started 0-3. The El Camino division goes 3-3 against the Ocean. I think the gap from top to bottom in the PAL altogether has gotten a lot smaller lately, and that's not because of a lack of talent at the top. I think it's just the overall state of football on the peninsula has gotten a lot better lately. I think over the last decade, we've really seen that, and Los Altos picking up a win like that over a San Mateo team that's in a pretty strong season. Very, very good sign. Santa Teresa gets on the winning side of things, 14-7 over Lee. The Saints have scored just 23 points in four games, but allowed only 79, and 35 of those were against Mitty. We had our first BVAL game of the year in the Santa Teresa Foothill Division. It was Silver Creek holding off Piedmont Hills 24-20. Head coach Eric Lucher in his second tour of duty with the Raiders. Glenn Reeves had the coverage on that game. Big night for running back Dominic Lim. QB Trajan Sinatra, who also plays at running back of the Raiders only completed two passes, but they both went for touchdowns from Sinatra to Austin Price. Willow Glenn beats Leland 21-14, another 
upset win for a Santa Teresa team over a Mount Hamilton team. Rams scoring two fourth-quarter touchdowns to win that one, but the biggest story that's come out of this game is unfortunately not so much a football thing as it was something on the sidelines where it looked like a Willow Glen staff member pushed over a member of the chain gang. Waiting for further details on that, the Mercury News had the initial story, waiting to see what else kind of ensues in that, what follows up. Both programs that I've had very good experiences with, seen both teams play a lot of good games, and always had good exchanges with both the players and coaches there, so not somewhere I would have expected something like that to go down. I will make sure to keep you informed on the fallout of that as I hear more. It was Oak Grove, 39-20 over Mount Pleasant. First win of the year for the Eagles was 39-7 before a couple of late Mount Pleasant touchdowns there. Palma continues to dominate local opponents, 42-15 over Alisal. Chieftains now 3-1. Their lone loss was to Yuma Catholic. Alisal also 3-1. North Monterey County's first win of the year, 41-13 over Harbor. Aptos, 42-27 over North Salinas. Remember, the Mariners were 0-3 against a loaded schedule. Much better day for them. Lawrence Ingram the fourth, running for a couple of touchdowns. Nice job by North Salinas hanging around. That's a matchup that most years you would expect to be running clock material. And North Salinas, remember, they were winless just last year. Carmel, 4-0 with a 35-14 win over Alvarez. Carmel, one of those programs that often has the talent to hang with the Gabalon teams as they do here. Just if they were to play, you know, six league games against Gabalon teams with twice as many roster guys, would they be able to handle it physically is the question because... It becomes a battle of attrition, and when everyone's playing three ways and you start to lose guys to injury, by the end of the season, it's just a, you know, the team's kind of a shell of itself. And that's kind of the Carmel predicament. Like, they're always at the top of that middle tier of the PCAL, but for them to have to go out there and get promoted to the upper tier puts them in a spot where they're clearly at a competitive disadvantage. And it's, it's tough to figure out what to do with a team like that when you're assigning divisions. Nonetheless, they're off to a really strong start this year. Rancho San Juan, 20-7 over Marina. San Lorenzo Valley improving to 2-2 two two with a 7-0 win over Watsonville. And Salinas, after starting 0-3, rolls past Seaside 49-3. Cowboys getting healthy. Remember, they had played a loaded schedule those first three games, taking on Clayton Valley, Valley Christian, and Clovis. Salinas opening league play this coming Friday at SoCal. I've got October 5th circled to make my way down south to see them host Aptos at the pit. I absolutely love going to games there. Pretty small slate of games on Saturday, but I saw a pretty good one. couple other interesting scores to note. But before we do that, it's time for a little basketball update. Congratulations to MIDI forward Gavin Rip on his commitment to the University of San Diego after his visit there. Also, Cal's been offering some local guys, including the Reardon duo of sophomore Andrew Hillman and junior Jasir Rencher. Nice to see Cal basketball really recruiting locally again, something that just 
hadn't happened much for a while. Now they're starting to go after the right guys. Mark Madsen's really put himself out in the community, and I think it's it's time that we don't just have the WCC schools performing well in the Bay Area. It would be great to have Cal in that category as well, and, you know, a yearly yearly battle between the likes of Cal, USF, and St. Mary's for Bay Area supremacy would be would be pretty fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, how about a football game with three fourth-quarter lead changes? Doherty Valley winning for the first time this year, 21-16 at Lowell. They played tight games each of the last two years now. Wildcats scored midway through the fourth to go up 15-9. Lowell came down and scored to retake the lead as quarterback, who also doubles as statistician, Angelo Ornelas, threw a touchdown to Gage Chopin. Extra point gave Lowell a 16-15 lead, but Ritwick Chagokar throwing an 86-yard touchdown to Vincent Banzon inside the final minute. Doherty Valley wins 21-16. Congrats to the Wildcats on their first win of 2023. Stevenson 7-0 over King City. Gonzalez beats Soledad 20-13. Those two rivals both entered that game at 0-3. Gonzalez from down in the Santa Lucia division. Soledad in the Mission South. Independence improves to 2-1 via forfeit against San Juan from Citrus Heights, just outside of Sacramento. Assuming it was roster numbers that kept San Juan out of playing this game, but not sure because they have 42 guys listed on the roster, but last week lost 82-7. Couldn't find anything on why that game was forfeited. Going to try to search around. Hopefully it wasn't anything too nefarious at play there. St. Francis of Watsonville beats Pajaro Valley 28-13. The Pajaro Valley Grizzlies had been outscored 114-0 over their first three games. They got on the scoreboard in this one, though they did fall to 0-4. The El Toro Bowl. Rivalry renewed on Saturday in Morgan Hill, where Live Oak went down two scores, rallied in the second half behind running back Josh Gagne. They go on to win 35-27. Two terrific running backs in this game. Josh Gagne, 26 carries, 213 yards, three touchdowns. And on the Sobrato end, Noah Taylor, 19 carries, 323 yards, three scores of his own. As I mentioned before, just great that this rivalry is back to being a yearly fixture after not being played from 2017 through 2021. And to see both Morgan Hill schools playing well is great. Looking at the highlights of that one from Cal High Sports, packed on both sides. Exactly what you want in a crosstown rivalry. People turning up even for a Saturday afternoon game. I also went to a Saturday afternoon game that people turned up for, and I think it's one of the most surprising results of the weekend. Menlo, 28-13 over Menlo Atherton. I had said, my my guess was MA would just, you know, as the deeper and larger team, end up winning like 28-7. Menlo's offense hadn't done much in the first three games other than against Watsonville, but they were clicking in every way. First off, everyone with the jersey number in the 50s on the line for Menlo, playing both ways, phenomenal. Especially sophomore Palmer Riley, but really the entire group stood up. Parker Ashton, David Matre, Lawrence Latu in that mix as well. Also junior Michael Praise, junior John Floyd. Menlo got out to a 21-0 lead behind 
not just a great pass rush, but two excellent quarterbacks, sophomore Jack Freehill and senior Mikey McGrath. McGrath more of the running QB, though he can throw it as well. Freehill more of a pocket passer. They each threw a touchdown to Nick Skako and one to Brady Jung. Also want to mention defensive end Bradford Tudor and safety Jamie Faris as Menlo defensive standouts. Knights did a great job spreading the ball around and just came out more ready to play. I think it can be a weird experience going out to play on the natural grass in the sun on a Saturday afternoon, even though M.A. had played a day game a week earlier. Menlo's lost just once at home since the start of the 2021 COVID season. And as M.A. head coach Chris Saunders said, we're just not a very good football team right now. But there were some major individual standouts for the Bears that do need to be recognized. First of all, QB Xander Ashelman was getting throttled all day, but still threw for nearly 300 yards. Kept going back to his two main targets, Alec Marshall and Owen Van Lobensels. We knew about Marshall already. Van Lobensels really stepping it up as well. And then defensive end Devin Hyde. When you have both him and Kyrie Jett, who missed this game, still has a cast on his hand. That's going to be a terrifying combination. Bears were also without running back Jordan Masui-Sui. MA's defensive front did a pretty nice job, but there were a few times where the Menlo receivers beat him deep in the secondary, including the 79-yard touchdown to Jung. That was the touchdown McGrath threw to Jung. Jung also caught one later from Freehill after MA had cut it to 21-13. So Eshelman threw for a touchdown, before halftime to James Gray. Bears actually would have had a really good chance to score twice in the final 30 seconds of the first half. They recovered a fumble on the ensuing kickoff, but then got popped for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Instead of trying to score from the 31, you're back at the 46. Nonetheless, they got a stop to open the third. Then Eshelman scrambled for a 44-yard touchdown, but Menlo came right back down, scored to go ahead by two scores, and Took care of business the rest of the way. Riley recovered a late fumble to finish it off. Riley also recorded an interception on the day. And Jack Earnhardt recovered a fumble on the opening kickoff. It was a short kick into no man's land that Menlo ended up recovering. And though they didn't score on that drive, despite starting in plus territory, the teams traded turnovers on downs, and it set them up with good field position to eventually get the first touchdown and... Really, things just kind of rolled from there. You know, you get the t turnover on the opening kickoff, and you're effectively playing with the first possession of both halves. So Menlo 4-0, like I said, that game against Hillsdale looks to be their best challenge in the Deans division, although, although their October 6th trip to Palo Alto should also be a good one. It was Menlo's first win over MA since 2014. You could tell it meant a lot. Most like positive emotion I've ever seen displayed by the Menlo coaching staff. Players were pretty fired up, and they talked a lot after about how they maintained their composure through it all. Between not just, you know, playing against a local rival, but it sounded like there was some trash talk on social media in the week leading up to the game. I know the MA student section is pretty notorious for that, and it seemed like Menlo was able to do it properly, using it as bulletin board material instead of letting it Get the best of them. You know, that's the sort of thing that can psych you out, especially, look, these are 
These are 16 to 18 year old kids who would be easy to get intimidated by something like that, right? So that caps off what was a really entertaining weekend of football. Without leaving San Mateo County, I got to see two really tight games, a couple of surprising results, and a third game that was a celebration of a program that's been trending upwards for a while at Cappuccino. In a couple days, I'll be back at it with our Week 5 preview. Hopefully have a couple more special guests lined up soon. Other than that, going to be putting in some work on the actual website as things transition over from Substack in the near future. Thanks again to the High School Transfer Portal for sponsoring this episode. If you would like to sponsor an episode, would like to become a prominent sponsor or just a one-off thing, or if you have any sort of questions, comments, feedback, want to be interviewed, whatever it is, be sure to hit me up. My email, as always, is ethancastle at gmail.com. Before I go, I do want to give you one last thing that I thought was awesome. Saturday night, watching the Colorado versus Colorado State game, as just about everyone was doing, I had gotten back from going to dinner to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. And while I was definitely pulling for Colorado State, I'm not a fan of Fox Sports becoming, like, the Coach Prime Cheerleader Network. And I've never been a particularly big fan of Colorado altogether. I mean, I'm a fan of the state, not of the, the Buffaloes. I am a fan of local kids stepping up and performing well in college and professionally. And Michael Harrison certainly did that. Harrison was a slot receiver at St. Ignatius. Part of that very, very strong 2019 team, a 2020 graduate. Danny Ryan was the star receiver on that team. They also had James Adams and Marcelo Villavicencio at tight end. So Harrison was a guy who would usually get, I don't know, two, three catches a game. Had a couple of key onside kick recoveries over the course of the season. Always a guy with really good hands, but never like, at the, you know, as a high schooler, he never had, you know, the body type where you think, oh, that's a Division I tight end. As opposed to, say, Dylan Golden of St. Francis, who caught a, game-winning touchdown for Brown over the weekend. Harrison walked on at Colorado, one of the few guys who stayed throughout the roster turnover as Deion Sanders brought in his own guys, is starting at tight end now, ended up actually beating out a couple other local guys for that spot, including Luis Passarello from Palo Alto, and was a huge part of the comeback win over Colorado State. And again, I was rooting for Colorado State. Look, Colorado fans are the only fans Nebraska fans don't get along with. If Nebraska doesn't like you, that's that's not a good reflection. I ha know of other local players who had played at Colorado, not to name names on the record, but former CU players have talked about how difficult their fans are to deal with. But man, is it cool to see a local kid step up and come through. Harrison finished with seven catches for 76 yards, couple of touchdowns, also caught the two-point conversion to cap off the 98-yard drive to tie the game at the end of regulation. As I've said on Twitter and elsewhere, I think rushing the field after beating a three-touchdown underdog in overtime is super weak. So shame on the CU student section and shame on the people who have sent threats to the Colorado State player that injured Travis Hunter. Admittedly, Colorado State was playing a dirty game. I think they ended up with like 10 personal fouls and it hurt them a lot late in the game where they seemed more interested in hurting guys than just playing football, but should not have merited threats. 
Colorado State has some studs, especially Torrey Horton from Fresno. 16 catches for 133 yards and a TD. I think he got targeted 17 times, caught 16, also threw a touchdown. But yeah, to see the whole country, basically everyone who was still awake at that point, which a decent amount of the East Coast probably wasn't, probably woke up to the highlights the next day. Seeing what a kid from San Francisco who was a walk-on that stayed amidst all the roster turnover to see what he did is just phenomenal. So huge, huge congratulations to Michael Harrison and to everyone who's been along for the ride with him. Vlad of St. Ignatius, current students and alums, very excited to see him succeed. This week, Colorado plays at Oregon. Would be really fun to have both him and Troy Franklin catching touchdowns each way. Two local kids that are kind of on very different trajectories to get to where they are, whereas Franklin, you know, varsity starter as a freshman, was always anointed as a great player and has lived up to those expectations, whereas Harrison has been much more of a surprise, except for maybe to his innermost circle. You know, I'm sure friends and family always had that belief, knew he was going to be capable of doing something like this. But yeah, just, just an incredible journey that he's been on. And it's a story that I look forward to following over the course of the season. It's it's just amazing, like I said, the, the juxtaposition of him and Franklin. And now they're both major players on college programs that are at the forefront of the college football world, which is just phenomenal. So looking forward to that, looking forward to reporting on more big successes from local alumni as this season goes on. And looking forward to seeing you all around at some games. Probably not hitting up a Thursday game this week. Friday, I've got my eye on Oakland taking on Washington at 3 p.m. in the Richmond District, and then the Midi-St. Francis game at 7. Saturday, SI at Reardon and Bellarmine at Valley Christian should both bring in great crowds. I think this has got to be the biggest SI Reardon game in a while. I mean, last year where a playoff spot was on the line, that was big in its own right. But I think this is the first time in quite some time that there's really expectations for both programs to be towards the upper half of the WCAL, maybe even competing for second place. So this this should be a lot of fun. And I hope to see you there. If you do see me at a game, be sure to say hi. Ideally, don't like throw tomatoes at me like, you know, people do in cartoons. But yeah, come say hello, don't be a stranger, and I look forward to seeing you all around. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review if you like it, and if you don't like the show, send it to your enemy, and hopefully they 